0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of That's Debatable. I'm Miles. And I'm Creed. And what we usually do on this show is we take a political or societal issue, we break it down, and we each take a side and then debate it. But today we're going to be doing something a little different because for those who don't know, Creed was raised in China, and so he has a pretty interesting backstory, so we're going to be interviewing him. To start it off, uh, where were you born exactly?
1: So I was born in Olympia, Washington. Um, that's where I was born. I was actually born in the same hospital as my mom. So that's a cool fact mm-hmm. about me
0: When did you move to China?
1: And I actually moved to China when I was about 10 months old So I lived in Olympia until I was 10 months old and then I moved to China uh, When I was 10 months old and the first place I moved to was a small town uh, That's got it's kind of known for its small college. Uh, it's called Huaxi. It's in Guizhou, China It's the poorest province in China. um, And it's in the southeast part of China. So yeah, cool area. Mm -hmm.
0: Why did you decide or why did your family decide to move there?
1: So my dad is an educator, my mom is a nurse. And so they went there to my dad had some educational programs. um, And he ended up starting his working on his educational PhD there. And then my mom was a nurse. And so she Just wanted to help out with people and teach a lot of the hospitals around there um, with all their medical uh, jobs and you know how to run hospitals and you know even as a nurse she was able to be very helpful to the doctors and the people who were higher up in those communities and for relief after earthquakes and other things like that.
0: What sticks out to you the most about growing up in China?
1: Well, obviously, growing up in China is way different than growing up anywhere else, Um, especially where I lived in China. Uh, I grew up, you know, playing in villages, small um, towns, and, you know, I didn't have much, you know, electronics, I guess, is one of the big things is here. I'm seeing a lot of people on their electronics a lot compared to there where it was a lot more, you know, you spend time with people and you go outside because it was a poorer place, so they didn't have as many electronics, and it was also... You know, quite a while ago, um, sixteen years ago, from when I moved there. So that's that's one thing definitely. But then obviously it's a whole different language, whole different culture. It's, I mean, pretty much the entire world is different when you live in China compared to America.
0: What was your experience in schools compared to here?
1: So the schools in China, at least where I lived, I had a very unique situation compared to most people. Um, so I was the only non-native person to go to a school in that area for about a 100-mile radius. Um, I was the first white person many people had seen before. Um, and so that was, that was a massive, very interesting experience for me. Um, it was kind of funny. A lot of people would look at me like I was a ghost uh, sometimes, or they'd comment about, like, oh, look, there's a foreigner. But I was actually – I'm fluent in Chinese because of my upbringing there, so I'd understand them. Sometimes I'd say hi, and, you know, they'd always <laughs> – it would always be kind of funny to see their reactions, um, and it's completely different culture because um, there, they, there's a whole different style of how you can treat each other, um, and obviously it's not like it's a bad thing either. It's it's just how the different countries work. But in there, I, I had a lot of people wanting to take photos with me or like want to touch my hair or whatever. So that was that was always an interesting experience. But for school specifically. Um, there was no English schools or American schools at all. So I went to a public Chinese school for the first 10 years of my life. Oh, outside of, you know, I think when I was four or five, maybe I started going to the public Chinese schools, but from the time I was five to 10 and a half, that's where I went to school. And that was a very interesting experience because, you know, I was the only white kid there. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was very fun but also a bit scary at times too. Yeah. How so? Well, I mean, obviously you're the odd one out. So everyone's looking at you and they're you kind of have to be an example for what they believe everyone else that's like you is. So, you know, if they've never seen another white person before, I'm the only person they can reference. So that means if I'm being a good person, you know, maybe that'll help set a you know good example or maybe, you know, change their mind on something they've heard before. But it's also, you know, there's a lot of negativity towards people that are different, I mean, anywhere in the world. So that's another thing I had to deal with was being treated completely different because of how I looked. Um, I I was often, you know, the butt of many jokes or whatever. So that was not always, it was very difficult at times with how I would be treated, but it was also very eye-opening. And in, in the end, it was, I'd definitely say it was a good thing being getting to experience something that wildly different and then you know coming back to America and now I'm in the majority and I still feel don't feel like I'm in the majority just because of how I grew up so I I think it gave me such a crazy and wide perspective on life that even though there were so many hard times uh, that I had to deal with I gained a lot from it so that was that's really interesting to me at least
0: uh did you learn English when you were uh, like at home with your parents or in schools?
1: So English is my mother tongue. Both of my parents are from USA. So uh, they spoke English at home. And actually, when you're very young, you pick up languages extremely well. Like kids can usually pick up languages many times faster than adults can. So that's um, that's why I was able, you know, it, English is just natural to me. There's nothing, you know, there's no difference between me and any other native English speaker in how I how we view English, I'd say. Um, every once in a while, I'll switch up English words for Chinese words and vice versa. So that's that's kind of funny. But um, Chinese also came pretty naturally to me. It was obviously a completely different language from what was spoken in my home. But outside was always Chinese. So in the home, always almost always English. A lot of English, but we'd practice our Chinese and then outside of the home, everything was in Chinese. So it's like my second language, but I also feel like I have a deeper connection than as if I'm just learning it at school because I have the experience. I know, you know, I can tell the difference between certain accents and know what people are trying to say based off of that. It's like when people come to America and can't tell, you know, what a person from Texas is trying to say compared to someone from Seattle area. But I'm able to, with Chinese identify some of those differences in how they speak um, in different areas and so that that's something that I feel is pretty unique to me too is just that understanding I have
0: yeah did you notice anything about the government while you were there that's perhaps different than it is over here
1: I mean it's a whole nother world it's like you know I'm very 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 grateful to live here in America um, I I can't really go into i'd I'd rather not go into detail i guess about some of the things i you know experienced but i grew up learning that the chinese government was kind of the best thing in the world it was like all that there was for you um and many other countries were viewed as just bad based off of chinese history at least and um so i remember japan was always a big issue for me and, you know, I had to wear the red scarf to school. I still have, uh, I think, two of my red scarves because um, you get one every year there. Um, but also, I often did not like to wear mine so because I was just being annoying, I guess, to my teachers. But uh, they'd end up having to give me new ones. I think I probably collected probably maybe up to six or seven after being there for about five years. And So I still have two of those and then the other five are probably somewhere. I don't know where There's somewhere in the world
0: Do they emphasize communism where you lived?
1: Uh, it's not directly shown as communism. They're not gonna just straight up be like, oh, yeah, we're communists So they're the People's Republic of China. That's all that the Chinese people know and obviously censorship's another big thing there um, so censorship that plays a massive effect into many people's lives there um, without them even knowing it necessarily. Um, But that was something I didn't really learn until later on, especially when I moved back here, um, and I was able to see the difference in how people were able to speak more freely here. Um, Or uh, honestly, here, there's an insane amount of diversity compared to there because there, it's a lot of uniform thinking in certain things because it's just how the educational system is and how the government set the educational system up and the workspaces um but as i said i don't want to go completely into it because this is you know i want to keep keep the show light obviously so yeah but it was definitely it's a shocker a bit of a shocker coming to america after growing up there i was like whoa this is a this is crazy to see all the diversity here It's definitely pretty cool to come here and see that.
0: Do you have any stories you could share about growing up in the villages in China?
1: Yeah, so one of my favorite things to do when I was in the villages is there would often be hills. And where it was, it was often, you know, it was kind of like Seattle weather, to be honest. Um, So all these hills would get pretty slippery and muddy. And the type of rock they were, you could you could climb up them, but then you'd slide back down. And it was honestly really fun to do when you're, you know, eight years old or whatever. So my friends and I would often go do that. Um, we would wrestle, we would play in the rice paddies or go swimming. Um, obviously that's, you know, not the safest thing to do is swimming in a fast moving river, but um, you know, it was something I like to do with my friends. And then We'd, uh, played all different types of games, mainly tag. That was probably the one we played the most. And then what was really interesting in the villages is the people group there, um, the minority group, they wouldn't really use nails or anything like that when they built houses. So it was all like massive Lincoln log projects with, you know, shingles for the roof, um, But the shingles weren't glued together. They were just laid on top of each other. And when someone was building a house, the entire community would come around and build it all together. So it'd be like this massive project for, you know, a couple months or whatever, you know, and the whole community would get together, have a bunch of food, a lot, and all the men would be working on the buildings and all the women would be taking care of the children and prepping food and, you know, helping set everything up and put furnishing in so that was really fun getting to experience that and actually help out a little bit on one or two of the houses. Um, so that was really cool. And the food there was honestly so amazing. There's one that uh, probably one of my favorite foods of all time. Uh, it's called anju. And that it's like a spicy sour fish. It's pickled fish. It's covered in, in like an intense amount of spice. And it's very... It, it is very sour. That, that's why it's basically a spicy sour fish. And so it is so good, but you take a bite and then you're like, your mouth is on fire. And so you have to drink a bunch of water, but it's so tasty that you can't not have another bite. So you keep going back. And apparently the first time I had it, I was, I don't know, maybe one and a half, two, And I took a bite. I started crying. And then I did the sign language for more. And then I was like, more. And then my mom would give me another bite. I'd start crying. I drink water. And then I keep asking for more. So uh, I kind of grew up, you know, spicy food is one of the biggest things there. So I grew up eating spicy food. They have a saying in the area where I lived. Um, Sounds way better in Chinese. But the English translation is that you're afraid of spice. You're not afraid of spice, and you're afraid of no spice. Those are the three types of people, and the people there were afraid of no spice. Like, you did not get a meal without spice on it. It was it was pretty fun, though, getting to experience that.
0: How does the Chinese food in America compare to over there?
1: So I am very, very picky. Like, this is what I grew up on, is the authentic Chinese food from this one area. So even, you know, if it's authentic food from other areas, I'm not going to like it as much. Um because it, it's a completely different style of food um but most american versions of chinese food are not that good in my opinion you know it's not it's not spicy or sour enough <laughs> that's, that's usually my opinion on it also when people make fried rice um when i see the ingredients they put in i start to get like secondhand embarrassment <laughs> for some reason um, so that's that's something that is pretty, it's pretty fun just to see all these different types. But I found there have been a couple really good places um, for authentic-ish type food. My family just moved to Arizona, and there's this one place there called Noodle Noodleholics. Uh, and they have one type of noodle bowl that when my family told me to order, I was like, okay, it's probably going to be good, but it's not going to be authentic. They brought it out. Even just looking at the bowl, I was like, that is 100% authentic. So I took the first bite, and I— I basically got transported back to China that that was probably one of the best meals I've had in a very very long time
0: yeah Uh, that's crazy
1: yeah but most American Chinese food is not that good Mm. in my opinion but you hit one or two of the right ones and it's like it makes your entire week better
0: so are there any around any restaurants in the Seattle area that are pretty good
1: so there's there's a couple there's a couple hot pot restaurants that are pretty good um, in my opinion. Uh, and then Tiger Garden is one on Mercer Island that I liked when I went there. Uh, some things were pretty authentic. Some things weren't as authentic. Um, I think I remember the green beans, the green beans, uh, being pretty authentic. Uh, yeah. So the, not as honestly surprising, not as much in the Seattle area as I can think of, but that one place in Arizona, if you somehow find yourself in Tucson, Arizona, try to try to go to Noodleholics.
0: Yeah.
1: It's worth your time if you want to try it out.
0: Yeah, Arizona isn't exactly what I think of when I think of like <laughs> international culture. And- no, especially <laughs> Tucson, Arizona.
1: You don't you don't want to go to a desert to find like Chinese food or whatever. You wanna to go to a place with a bunch of Asian culture like here, but you know I guess for my taste, I like
0: the Arizona one better. So what's another crazy experience you've had in China?
1: So one that honestly stands out to me for no reason. Uh, I was walking home one day um, after school and I was going down the sidewalk and I saw some guys standing on the sidewalk um, and it looked like there was was a crowd gathered around him. And I was like, what's what's going on? Is this guy doing like a performance or something? And I got closer, uh, kind of peeked through everyone. And I saw there was this monkey in the middle doing tricks. And it was the first time I had at least remembered seeing just a monkey there. And I was like, why Why is this here? Like, it's it's not a place where, where we were. It's not really a place for monkeys to live necessarily. Um, so I was pretty amazed just to see that. And that was a pretty cool experience getting to see that and then walking home that day. And it, it was, I don't know, it stood out to me for some reason. But that was something I always found interesting. Um, I know that there have been quite a few other monkeys in other places um, that I ended up seeing afterwards, or I had seen when I was a lot younger, but didn't really remember. Um, So I've heard stories about those, but that was the first time I really remember seeing one and like registering it as something actually happening. So that was pretty, pretty crazy experience just to walk down the street and see someone doing a street performance with a monkey. But yeah.
0: What was the
1: monkey doing uh it was like you know just running around and like doing tricks and a handstand at one point <laughs> or something like that and i don't know it, everyone was just really surprised to see one so i guess that was the main attraction is it just it's being there yeah but yeah it wasn't doing i don't know i was probably nine so i don't really remember the tricks it was doing but <laughs> all i remember is that that was a really cool day for me just to be able to see that so all yeah.
0: right so kind of Uh, Going back to education, do you feel you got a good education in China?
1: Yeah. So I think, well, I went to the public school for math and science specific. uh, No, not math and science, math and Chinese specifically, um, because obviously my family wants me to learn Chinese. Um, I live there. I should learn how to be fluent in Chinese. So Chinese, obviously, I had a great experience learning that. It was hard because I start off with very minimal knowledge so I started off with only speaking and listening, understanding. So then I had to learn the reading and writing as it moved along. So that's pretty hard because obviously there's the writing in letters and then there's the writing in characters. Same with reading. So once everything switches over to characters, that's like a whole other gear you got to shift to in your brain. Um, but I ended up learning how to do that pretty well. So I'd say definitely for Chinese, uh, I had to put in an in- insane amount of work. But I ended up getting there and it was it was really good to learn that way As tough as it was And then math uh, In China the math is like a year advanced Kind of Or like a year year and a half advanced Compared to how it is here um, But they also start first grade a year later So really it's only I, I'd say it's really only half a year to a year advanced um, But they move at a little bit faster pace As time moves on um, And there's a lot more focus on math too Compared to America So that's something that I got a really good math education from that. And then I, you know, I would do my first half of the day at public school, come back. The second half of the day was homeschool with my parents. That's where, you know, I had an actual homeschooling curriculum. So I learned math, science, social studies, English, writing, you know, and then I I learned from that too, um, which was really good. It was like, so I ended up doing like double math. (laughs) <laughs> which, wasn't, which wasn't great, but it was also very, you know, it helped me learn really well the basics of everything up until, you know, fifth grade, I think it was, when I stopped doing that. Um, and then uh, I know that during third grade year in China is when they start teaching English. So that was an experience for me because the teachers there, they're all Chinese and so they don't have great English experience at all. Um, my dad actually helped teach English teachers on how to teach English. Like, many of them were at, you know, I'd say first grade level for an American, um, which isn't bad, but it's not, if you're going to be teaching a class, you want to be more than first grade level, right? So many of these teachers had strugg- a lot of struggles with pronouncing words or understanding words. And so that that's kind of what my dad would do was help teach them with that and then um I remember my English teacher was always a little bit wary to uh talk in English around me um just because she knew I was you know I'm an American and so she knew all that about me and so sometimes she'd ask me if she was saying stuff right and I'd say yes if she was and if she isn't uh or if she wasn't saying it right I'd try to as nicely say no but this is how you say it So she'd often go to me and then at the end of your third grade year, there's this big test you have to take um, in Chinese school that your entire school gets graded on, ranked against other schools in that area, and then placed on like a priority list. So obviously my school wants to do as good as they can. And my parents didn't really like me to go to the English classes there just because, you know, it kind of wasted time for me. Um, But the teachers were begging me to take the English test. For them. And I was already annoyed because I had to do the math and Chinese test. Oddly enough, when I said yes to take the English test, the one test out of the three tests I had to take, the one that I was the most nervous about was the English test. Because if I knew if I did not get a perfect score, that everybody would be like, Oh, he's actually not that good at English, or they'd just, you know, it's confusing. Like if someone came here and was like fluent in some language and then they take a basic test and they don't get 100% on it, then you're like, oh, what's going on there? And so I, I felt like there was a ton of pressure on me to do well. Um, because I mean, I had teachers come up in, to me and ask me like, will you please take this so our school can rank higher? <laughs> and so um, I was like, sure. English test and math test, those were fine. I was actually in the top, you know, my, my class, my actual class Like, not entire grade, but my actual class was 66 people. Wow. Yeah, so massive class. I was in the top 10 for Chinese, and I was, like, in the top 5 for math. So those went really well for me. Um, And English came around, and it's going well. It's easy stuff. I'm writing, making sure I use proper grammar and whatever because I do not want to somehow get points knocked off. And then my teacher's like, oh, surprise, surprise, we're bringing in someone who is licensed to do this, and they're going to say words in English, and you have to look at the multiple choice words and choose which one you think she said. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Because I knew that many teachers who came in, they might be very knowledgeable if they're licensed and they were brought in from other places. Like, she was brought in directly from the government. She's the one who does the government testing. So I knew she was knowledgeable at least, but I also knew that because of how different words work she couldn't really say certain things as well as might be expected or understood and because in chinese so here's another thing in china the letter v does not exist so if someone tries to say very they're usually going to substitute an r for the first v so i knew that there were some some things like that between the english and chinese language that would throw me off so i remember there were I think five of those. The first two I was able to get and I was like, I am 100% sure this is right. I'm very thankful she's saying these well. And then the third one I remember was backpack, but I thought she said barrack. And so I was really confused. And then I also it kind of sounded like umbrella at the same time and umbrella and backpack were two of the choices and so i was having like a mental breakdown trying to figure out which one it was i ended up going with backpack nice. and um and then the next two words came around and i was pretty shaken up by then but i was able to figure it out which was nice and then um then at the end there's an essay and i finished the essay and then there's like another 40 minutes left for the test. And I'm kind of just sitting there for 40 minutes because we weren't allowed to turn it in until the class ended. So I just sat there for 40 minutes. I couldn't even doodle or anything. So I just, you know, I'm a third grader. I just stared around the room. Um, I end up getting the score back. A week and a half later, I got 100%. And that was the one thing I was the most excited about that entire school year. Just from that test, I was like, I am so thankful that I got a 100% on that yeah. Um, but yeah overall I'd say my education there was good like there's I'm not behind in anything maybe I'm a little bit behind in some of the I don't know I have more of a math and science brain so some of the English stuff that even I learned from homeschooling I struggle with a little bit but overall I'd say I'm you know I'm in a good spot there, I didn't really fall behind in anything and plus I learned a new language That's, that's real great. So,
0: yeah. Going back to that test you took, how do they rank the schools or how does, how do the ranks impact things?
1: Well, I know for ranking the schools, it's just, you know, average scores, I think. So there's like a max score and then average score. And then I think I'm not entirely sure why the ranking wasn't so important, but my, my guess is that that ranking helped improve government funding for those schools um, and probably also gave some of those teachers awards or whatever. Um, or paycheck raises. I don't know. Something like that. That would be my guess. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that is my best guess for why they wanted me to do that test so badly. But
0: Yeah. I know in America they have, for elementary school, they have the SBAC. And I think it works similarly for that. That if your students do better, your school gets more money. Which seems a bit backwards, like
1: (laughs) a little bit. But then it also makes sense to some extent, because it's like, oh, this school proves that they can do well, so they're worth more for funding, and then, you know, that it kind of creates a gap. But also is trying to, it's like trying to do the right thing, but somehow creates a gap while doing the right thing, which makes it like, not (laughs) as good. I don't know. It's a weird situation. I guess Uh, it
0: depends what your goal is. Like, if your goal is to create equality, you probably want to give the money to. The lower performing schools but if your goal is to have like a good return on your investment with those students then you're better off yeah but
1: then also you know if you get zoned into the worst school then you're like ah shoot if i lived one house over i could have gone to the better school yeah so there's that's a that's a whole different topic (laughs) we could actually probably do this as a show next week (laughs) yeah uh listen in for maybe this but um anyways what's next for questions
0: Uh, When did you move to America, and where did you go?
1: Okay, so I was 10 and a half, or I think I was, yeah, I was about 10 and a half, and I moved to California, uh, Iwani, so it's right outside of Oakhurst, which is, you know, about 40 minutes away from Yosemite. So I would go to Yosemite quite a bit, at least once once or twice a month. Um, So that was a pretty big highlight. And just moving from a small town into a small town in china into a small town in america was very nice as a transition because where i lived it was there was like 50 acres of wildlands just around us that we could go and play in uh, my siblings and i and so that was really helpful i'd say for adjusting is getting to have that experience of not being thrown straight into a city in public schools Um, i went to a private christian school to start out with for that year um so that that was a good experience just getting to adapt smoothly, I'd say. Obviously, it's not going to be smooth. I just switched from one side of the world to the other. But smooth, more smooth than going thrown straight into a public school in America in a big city or whatever. So,
0: What yeah. were some of the things that were shocking to you when you moved to America? Okay,
1: the first thing um, that really shocked me when I moved to America is all the signs were in English that was mind-blowing to me i was like everybody here knows english and my mom was like yes and i was like everybody she's like yes And i was like no way she's like yeah pretty much everybody here knows english and i'm like that is just so cool to me does everyone know chinese and she's like no and i was like what how could that be (laughs) so that was one of the big things for me um is is learning about the it's it was so interesting Everything being in English, um, I did end up losing a good amount of my Chinese, which was ended up being a I'd say it wasn't like a problem, but it kind of hurt me a little bit. Personally, I was like, I feel really bad for losing this. So I ended up taking it later on in, uh at Mercer Island High School, which has been great, um, great Chinese program, honestly. Um, so that was good. But I remember
0: just being so amazed that everything was in English. That was like the coolest thing for me. So you've moved around quite a bit. So what do you consider to be your home? I personally do not feel like I have a home
1: home as many people would say. Um, you know, people who grew up in one place their entire lives, they have they have that kind of home feeling. For me, I lived in multiple different places while I was in China. I've lived in multiple different places in the USA. Um, the longest I've stayed in one place, I think is almost matched So I've lived about Six years in Mercer Island Almost I think And then in, There was one town in China that I lived About seven years in But I also during that time Kind of went around a lot, traveled a lot So it wasn't you know exactly seven years But same with Mercer Island um, So I'd say between those two places I just have to call it even and be like I personally I'd Probably choose a China uh, the town in China. Um, but I don't feel like I necessarily have that sort of home as most people would say, but, um, I just, I just like to say I can adjust to anywhere. So that's, that's what I go with. Usually Is like my home is wherever I, wherever I am. So yeah.
0: All right. So I think that'll be all for today's show. I want to give a big thanks to Creed for being willing to share all of this with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you for letting me share. It was super fun to do.
0: You can listen to our show every Thursday at 7 a.m. and as a podcast in Spotify under the name That's Debatable.
1: And we'll see you next week. Remember to stay tuned to KMIH 889 The Bridge for more music and conversations that spans generations.